Welcome to the Enlighten Up podcast. I'm Lisa Watson and will be joined by my co-hosts Nicole Frolic and Brian Koenigberg. The Enlighten Up podcast is a weekly show that provides an unconventional and refreshing spin on spirituality, where three friends and weekly guests share informative, fun, and usually off-the-wall conversations. Unlike others, we provide fringe and skeptical viewpoints on all topics, because our experience has taught us that the echo chamber is a boring place from which to learn. So regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, we can promise you, you're going to find a place to fit in here. So we invite you to grab a drink and listen in on our casual, entertaining, and hopefully enlightening conversation. And Enlighten Up is a self-funded podcast. So if you would like to help us to continue to be able to produce, enhance, and expand the show for our audience, then please send your support using the link in the show notes or go to our website, lightenup.us, and check out our merchandise shop where you can purchase merchandise that will allow you to express some spiritual humor. You may also show your support by leaving us a review on iTunes and following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. And now let's jump right into the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Enlighten Up podcast. So happy to have you back. This is going to be part two of the Tony Rodriguez episode. So we're jumping in where we left off in part one. If you didn't check out that episode, please do before you listen to this one, because there's so much information in there about abductions, MK Ultra programming, life on the moon, life on Mars. You're not going to want to miss it. So today uh, we're going to be jumping into the part where uh, Tony leaves Mars and is now taken to the planet Ceres, where he lives as a slave. We're going to get into wormholes, timeline probability predictors, and so much more. You're not going to want to miss this episode. So let's jump in and find out what Tony has to share with us once he gets to the Planet series. Later on, in the beginning, I didn't have any access to any kind of, uh, you know, I wasn't really knowledgeable of what was going on. But later on, you know, I, we would always talk about things. And a lot of the technology that I'm series, for instance, wasn't theirs. They were leasing it. A lot of a lot of technology was being traded uh, and leased. Uh, in an okay, way. where is Ceres exactly, and how do you spell it? Ceres is spelled C E R E S, and it's a it's about a 587 mile uh, in diameter uh, dwarf planet, and it's just it's in between Mars and the asteroid belt. It's okay. right after Mars. There's a dwarf planet. There's Ceres and Vesta, I believe. Ceres <clears throat> has water on it, and the spots that are on it are leftover magnesium and uh, uh, magnesium and elements that come out. That's a geyser, and I remember we flew over the geyser when it was going off. The geyser went off um, between every randomly between six and nine years. Every six or nine years, it, it was random. They couldn't predict it, but it's a it was a huge geyser, and water would come out, and what was left over was magnesium and few other elements and that would like snow back down to the surface and that's what's in that big crater on Ceres. <clears throat> a lot of people think that it was lights and there's a city there and there wasn't it was just it's just piles of magnesium that's the, the left that white residue there the germans had discovered a base there or were giving given access to it giving it given it and uh, there was a base there that was already built and that was abandoned and so the Germans moved in after some t at some point between World War II and, and when I was there in uh, 87, 88 when I got there, I guess. And um, they had begun to convert a lot of the room things they found and they began mining. And they were looking for water 
he, they were looking for pockets of water that they could drain out and then go in there and build into those caverns. And uh, they, they were have construction was going on very heavily while I was there and everything was underground, a hundred percent underground in caverns. They built uh, huge, huge cities uh, in some, some instances, a lot of them were smaller and they were all connected by trains. What did the cities look like? There was one that was a replica of a European city. And um, which do you know which city? I want to say Copenhagen. I don't, I don't know why, um, but the one that comes to mind is Copenhagen, that it was a replica of Copenhagen. And it was a tourist attraction. Like whenever ETs would visit there, they would always go there. That was the. That, yeah, it's just like China. That was the tourist attraction. <laughs> Maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. But. China built replicas of lots of. Historical European thing, so Chinese people could go and, and not have to leave the country. Wow! Yeah, wow! I I didn't know that. Um, there's a there's a there's an amusement park in Shenzhen. I I lived in I lived in Shenzhen, and there's an amusement park there called Windows of the World, I think, or, so, or something like that. And I mean, there was a miniature, uh, like a half scale Eiffel Tower, and you can walk down like the Danish Street, and yeah, it was. Wow. wow. Yeah. So that's China. The, so the Germans there were really big on the 30 year war in the 1600s. And they had scenes of that era on their money. And um, <clears throat> back in the 1600s, that 30 year war, they, they believed. So they had a different history that they were teaching their kids there. And they believed that that was the first time that indigenous humans from our planet had defeated an extraterrestrial influence. So the so I went and looked it up, and the the Thirty Year War was when they uh, won the right to be Protestants and not only Catholic. Europe was only allowed to be Catholic at that point in the six, early 1600s. You could be Catholic, or you could die. That was pretty much the religious choices. And the Thirty Year War, the result of that was the was the freedom of religion, and the Protestant religion was born. And the Amish was spun off out of that. Like a, it was a big fracture in religion and. The Germans on Ceres colony, the Ceres Germans, were very proud of that. They they were directly descended of that culture, like not only not just Germans, but like that area of Denmark and Germany. It was that uh, I want to say culture. I don't have the right word, but it was that culture that eventually broke away and went to Ceres after World War II. So it was that faction of the Germans that that went there. And, and I think it was the 16th century, not the 1600s, because this would be yeah, Martin Luther. It was like 1630 or something, 16 something. So, yeah, I'm probably wrong about the wording of it. But it the 30-year war is uh, the period of time that they were they were very proud of that. They, they were super proud of it. They, the officers on the ship that I would speak to now and then, we, we would talk about it. And they were very uh, boastful of their of their heritage. Were the cities more um, advanced in technology than they are here? There was a lot more. Uh, uh, so they had the clear kind of TV screens and they had some of them that would be, you know, uh, curved, like wavy, called wavy. And they had uh, uh, zero, zero gravity art in some places. Oh. So there was a foreigner of a place that I frequented and, the, and inside there was an area of so. They all, the, the thing that I always marveled at was <clears throat> that everywhere you went, millions and millions of square feet had artificial gravity. And it just blew my mind that it was being powered 
they had free power to do that um, because it was huge. I mean, on miles, you got to think miles and miles of corridors had flooring that was powered with that was giving artificial gravity. And so that blew my mind. But there were places where like uh, in the foyer of the one place of crumbs where I used to go, there was a uh, uh, like a, imagine like a fish tank. It wasn't a fish tank, but it was a it was a big square thing with a with a dome over it. You could look inside, and inside of it they had the gravity turned off. The the flooring was turned off, and they would shoot water into it. And so water balls would float around, and then they would shoot fire butane or whatever it was fireballs, and they would like pop and shoot it like like imagine like a balloon that goes off that pops out of one end and flies across inside of, of a tank. The fire does that in zero gravity. It makes a ball and then it, it kind of burns up and then it, like one side of it pops and it, it, it rockets across the rest of it. And it would do that. It had a cycle where it would shoot fire and then it would shoot water and they bounce around and then the gravity would come on and all the water would splash and empty it out and then it would start again. And it was like art. It was an art fixture. Whoa. So they had stuff like that. Um, there were places that were really, I, so I get asked this a lot and what you got to understand is that I wore a slave collar. I wore a shock collar that identified me as a slave. And when I rode trains, I, I got, you know, in the very beginning before the train started, um, I usually got rid, I usually got picked on or treated bad. You know, you know, if I had a, if I had a seat, I, you get up, you're not sitting here. You know, if the train was full, they would come and go, what are you doing? Get out of here. You know, and I, they'd grab me and push me where I had to stand up. And so it was like really embarrassing. And then after the train started, everybody got out their phones and got on their phone. I felt I didn't have one, but I remember seeing that everybody would get out their little device and look at it. And then I knew that I wasn't going to get picked on at that point. So it, always, it was always reassuring after we got moving. But in the big areas, the places that were like shopping district areas that were there was they had a lot of pillars everywhere. That was the other. They had big pillars everywhere. They were uh, that was a part, big part of their um, architecture. But a lot of those places that were uh, they had civilians. I didn't want to go because I was just flat out embarrassed. It was embarrassing to go through public and be a slave. And so I didn't frequent areas like I didn't see a lot of the stuff. Um, my one girlfriend made me go and look at the where they finally installed a, a fake sky. You know, like that place in Vegas that has the big TV screen over the, mm-hmm. they had one of those, but it was a whole uh, cavern and it was a fake sky with clouds. We had the sun and clouds like moving. And uh, that was like, a, they were eventually, they said they were all going to, they were going to make all the caverns like that. A lot of caverns had it just painted. They had, a, they had a sky scene painted and they had lights that, that shined up and then they would turn the lights down at night. You know, they would demo and simulate day and night. <clears throat> But um, I didn't like going to into public. Put it that way. No, and you like, yeah. I mean, you're you've been constantly degraded throughout your entire um, time. You were after you were abducted. This idea, though, of um, the gravity, uh, like the way they control the gravity, and <laughs> just and and then then the fact that they had these. You were abducted in eighty two. You said, yeah. Okay, so and you were taken to series probably in the early nineties. I'm assuming, right? Late eighties, like eighty eight. Okay, eighty nine, somewhere near. 
And the fact that they had these kind of TVs there, and clearly people from Earth are there because um, they had breakaways from Germany on Mars. Um, the fa- and clearly the U.S. military um, is there. Makes right. you wonder, well, yeah, makes you wonder, is our gravity real <laughs> or is it controlled? Well, well, okay, so... No, it's the technology of gravity manipulation that is that is hidden. Yeah, okay, that's what I'm talking. That's what I mean. I think that there are elements that they're suppressing. I think it's easy for them to just hide in the few areas of the world that you know. There obviously there are going to be colleges in a college that has the ability to discover the elements that they manufacture that allows this to happen. They're exotic elements, and I think they just covered up any kind of research to those elements. Whenever somebody gets close, they they come swoop in and get, and I think that's how they're suppressing it. Okay. Because uh, it was pretty easy for them to do. It's an easy technology. And it's once you got to think once you have gravity manipulation, that's what's doing all their ships too. The ship I was on was flew by grab. It had a, it had a few different drives. It had a, it could create a uh, wormhole and jump very far distances. So it could go to other star systems by jumping, by creating a wormhole and, and you were instantly there. But it also had gravity manipulation drive that made it fly very fast. There was no rocket sh- rockets on it, you know, like mm. in the movies. That's all BS. Mm-hmm. It's all through gravity manipulation that they're all the ships work, the discs and the wedge craft, all of them. So that's just all show for us to believe that's what it takes to get to space. <laughs> right, right. They, well, look, and they they even Star Trek, yeah, uh, even even the even Star Wars, you can't get outside of the galaxy. Or if you are to go to the other side of the galaxy, it'll take you years to get there. In Star Trek, it's like super far. That's not the case either. There are natural wormholes that they can access that go to other galaxies. That we went to other star systems, we went to other galaxies, and we went back. We were we were home for dinner that night. We didn't go into space and stay in space. We we left in the morning. And when we did the the other thing that makes the jerk the 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 wormhole technology the jumps, we would leave at eight o'clock in the morning. We would get back at eight o five. They could jump back in time, but not prior. Um, there are laws about it. I guess there are advanced races. Oh sure, thank thank you, Einstein and Rosenberg. At least in in our world. What, uh, what I mean is, there are advanced beings, advanced uh, species that police time travel. So they are allowed to do like we, uh, the Germans, were allowed to do time travel to a certain extent, but they couldn't go back and just manipulate, take over the whole planet, uh, take over the world because another species would step in and stop them. I had one officer, I like I rode in an elevator with an officer, and we were talking about it. He said that he was taught, and you know, in his school they were they were taught about it in his in the class, and he said that somebody. Um, Somebody got in trouble for by one of this this species, whatever it is, it's a species uh, of of beings that live outside of our time space, uh, and they police it. And he said that so, a guy tried to take advantage, and he broke the rules. And what they did to him was, they took him, and he lived a thousand years of, I don't want to say torture, but he lived a thousand years of very bad of uh, of a torturous life. And they put him back to the same moment. He like a like a twenty and back. He did a thousand and back, but it was a punishment. That was the punishment. They said there's nobody that wants to break the rules because that's the kind of penalty that and, uh, you would pay from them. 
who are these beings that are controlling the time travel or monitoring it? it? It's a species that lives outside of our time space that is that does that. It's a higher uh, species. So, so what was what was your role? You 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 say you were a slave. You had a slave collar on, but you talk about it. Sounds like you had some sort of you know freedom of movement. You're riding trains and you're having conversations with with officers and elevators. Yeah. Um, what 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 was your your role or your job or your function? So, at the very beginning, um, this was another thing that from the researchers was one of the biggest evidences of proof, uh, according to. Uh, other accounts from men that I'd never met that st- step forward. In the very beginning of the first eight years or so that I was on series, I was a repair, um, a repairman on a on a converted submarine. It was basically a submarine that was converted into a spaceship, and the lower decks of it were imp- were uh, maintenance. And it was myself and two other slaves like me, and we would get up in the morning. We rode a train. We we showered and ate and brushed our teeth, and then we'd get on a train. We had a jumpsuit that we put on, and we we got off the train. It was filthy too. It was a slave slave uh, area, and we would go onto the ship uh, through an umbilical, like just like you go on an airplane. And then when we went in there, there was a screen that would tell you. I had a number, you know, number whatever dash. And it would say, you are going to do this. And it was like a, like a screen at McDonald's that they have in the back in the kitchen that has the orders. It was a big flat screen. And it would tell me what I was going to do. Go to the tool crib and grab item C11 and item B33 and bring those back here. And I would go do that. And then they would say, now go to this junction. It would show me a little map, go to this junction and disassemble this. And I would go and do that. And it was maintenance. I did ship maintenance for about eight years. It was it was Groundhog Day. And then at the end of the day, I, I had no idea where the ship went. There was no window. There were. It was very rare. Once in a while, an officer would come down and speak to us for whatever reason. But it was very rare we even saw anybody. They were all upstairs, uh, and in the you know at the top le- uh, decks of the ship doing whatever they were doing. But we were down in the bottom of it doing doing maintenance and doing repairs. At the end of the lifespan of that ship, it kept breaking down and getting worse and worse. They decommissioned it, and I was promoted, and I was a cargo engineer on a more modern ship that was more like a uh, looked like a pumpkin seed. It was a black. It looked like a stealth ship. It looked it was black like a stealth ship, and it was much bigger. It was about a thousand feet long by about six hundred feet wide, and it probably had seven decks in it, uh, five to seven. There were five main decks, and there were a few other like partial decks. And I was a cargo engineer. And what I did was I logged whenever we picked up cargo, the guys would measure it, uh, measure the cargo and weigh it. And if it was not tall, because if it was a tall cargo, it had a generated a tipping report and that would go into the main cargo bay. I was in charge of the, I guess, the port cargo bay. There were two cargo bays that I was in charge of and I had guys under me that would move it. And basically I cataloged everything, the size of all the boxes or whatever container we got. And then entered that into the computer. And then I would report in the next morning to the mission briefing with the officers first thing in the morning. And I, I would I held the report on how much space was available and how much uh, space was taken up. And, that's- and did you go to did you go on that ship to other planets or? I did. Um, there were times. So they were really big on performance scores. Um and if you outperformed everybody, you would get 
rewards. Um, there were times when I did good and they called me and I got to see on the bridge. And um, there were a couple times when I went on uh, a couple, I guess you in Star Trek lingo, you call them away missions. I went on a couple away missions. Uh, once was on a bigger planet, a heavy gravity planet. And we, uh, we picked up a form of oil, like a crude oil that was something like 500 times more uh, potent than our what our oil is. They were trying to figure out how to do. They were trying to synthesize it so uh, to possibly use it on Earth, but they never figured it out. But I uh, rode on a craft and we went and got that cargo on a, on a and it was a big desert ship and we traded. They were they were tall black shiny black reptiles that we traded with. Uh, another one was a world that was less advanced than ours and was not aware of of extraterrestrial life and. We were tra trying to set up a deal and trade with the military there, and they were smaller. I, a lot of people give me uh, don't believe this, but they were smaller, like rat-looking people, and uh, they had tails, and they were sh very small. And it was a sh it was a uh, planet just like ours, pretty much. It was a swampy area that we went into, and we uh, they he was trying to trade a uh, some. Uh, it was like a metal. Uh, it was a natural resource, and he was trying to trade it for technology. And they were less advanced than us. They were like us back in the 70s kind of technology. Where have we seen rat people in a movie? Is it? Have what, you? What, I want to say Willy Wonka's Princess Chocolate Bride. Factory. Oh, was it Princess Bride? They weren't people. They're not people. They, they were, were just, just big rats. They were just large no, rats. No, 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 no. I mean actual <laughs> people that kind of were made like it was a very um 80s type looking movie you know but like i i for some reason i want to say willy wonka's chocolate no but I, I i have these images in my mind willow one of those maybe you were there no yeah. i wasn't there <laughs> <laughs> you never uh, um sorry i don't mean to i didn't mean to interrupt you it just i, I couldn't get oh. out of my mind i was like why what's <laughs> um strange uh so okay you are a fun guest to ask this question just a little a uh, sure. little mini break here uh before we get into more of it uh so <laughs> since you did a lot of time out there more than any of us down here uh i had uh, i've mentioned this once on the podcast i had a dream um maybe I want to say two months ago, um, that was so vivid to me. And I was on a ship and I was with other entities beings. I, but I can't tell you what they, what they look like, who they were. Like, I don't remember that part, but I remember it being kind of looking like a Star Trek-ish like ship, but quite wide round, but tapering to the front and tapering also to the back a little bit. Um, and I remember seeing on the wind, everyone started like running in or something to, it's more away from the windows. And so I went to go look at the front. I don't, I don't uh, of the window, and there was all this um, greasy material, like um, starting to form like uh, residue on the window. And it's almost like I saw like I want to say it looked like if a windshield wiper had like tried to wipe it, it would just make like smear like oil. Hmm. And so the next day, um, my friend discovered like an article in a scientific um, journal or something like that, that the Milky Way is made up of a lot of oily gas. 
and that it's uh so i'm just wondering if you witnessed any of that while you were out there so i didn't witness it but there were um so if they jumped and came into a uh, a gases a gas or let's say if they jumped into a planet's atmosphere it would cover the ship in ice there was a cold effect and it was uh it would cause a maintenance issue with the ship and there were times that they we uh they went into nebulas and things that it would leave but i didn't have to deal with that i was you know i had my job there were other people that took care of the ship when it came back to dock but i did hear about stuff like that that when it did when it came out of a jump out of a wormhole into a gas that it would cover it in ice whatever it was would stick to the ship and it would be iced on Hmm. So what is it like to go through a wormhole? Okay, so it's uh, there were many different ones. And uh, when we took off, when, when we did our, our regular one, it wasn't, it wasn't very disorienting. I mean, you, kind of, you could kind of tell that something happened, but there was, it wasn't really that bad. But when we use the natural wormhole, so uh, you got to, so every position on the ship had, at least two. So if there was one guy that just ran a pushed a broom, there would be another guy that pushed a broom, and they always had a, a score on how much work you got done for the day. They pitted everybody against everybody, and that way um, they maximized efficiency. They were very big on that on your on your efficiency score. Um, for that reason, when we use natural wormholes, the ship would remain idle for about ten minutes after going through because some people would get sick. And at first, you know, so whenever we went to other galaxies, we used a natural wormhole that was by Jupiter, like a natural portal. We would go through it. And when we got through it, a light would come on everywhere, like a, like a, a red light inside the ship would come on everywhere. And everybody would know that. And you were not allowed to do your job for 10 minutes because you could get an unfair lead on the other on your counterpart. So every so whenever we use a natural wormhole, all work, everything was suspended for 10 minutes. So that people that could get their get it together. I, I remember I would feel sick, nauseous uh, for about three or four minutes, and I would sit there uh, and just wait. I, I remember that thinking like uh, I just wanted to get to work. You know, I just wanted to start doing my job, and I was sitting there, and it was like you know seven minutes of just having nothing to do. It was super boring. But the natural wormhole um, did have that effect on people. A lot of people would puke from it, and you you felt dizzy and nauseous for the first uh, few minutes after going through it. And did you ever get to, I mean, when you, when I think of a wormhole, I think of uh, Joe, is it Jodie Foster in uh, yeah. um, contact? Well, the, other, the other thing is that you get depleted of electrolytes and you got to drink water. There was always water available. Um, and you, they would give you water, even just even a gulp of water you, you had to have, or it, it was a negative effect. Like, I guess it, it depletes all your electrolytes. And were you ever able to see out of a window when you were going through a wormhole? No, not when I was going through it, no. Um, but sometimes I did go and look out the window. Whenever we were by something, um, whenever the ship had time, and we were by something of note, they would turn the windows on. Like the, there was a big observation window that they could turn on and off. And uh, it would turn, and it was like, uh, again, like almost this, almost the whole wall uh, in an area. I've got an artist picture that I, I an artist friend of mine drew up for me. Um, 
But there were sometimes like the geyser on series went off and we flew by it. And I remember I went to the window and stood there and watched it and uh, saw that. There was a time when we were in the trapezium and there was a war going on and we were dropping off cargo for ships to go into war. And that was their rally point. And that was in near the Orion Nebula. And they, they would leave the window on and uh, we were there for a long time sometimes. And they everybody went there, and I guess because the stars are so pretty close to each other and there's so much gas, it's a nebula, that um, everybody had a different amount of colors that they could see. Uh, some people would say that they could see yellow and blue, which I, I went there and I saw a little bit of red. I guess everybody's eyes were different. And so they told everybody to go there and look out the window and see what what colors you could spot. And I did, and I saw basically just gray, like your standard star like the gray color and i saw out in the gas i saw like streaks of red very light red here and then that's all the color i could see but there were people that said that they looked out the window there and saw tons of different colors so it's it was dependent on your own personal eyes wow this is all so fascinating i'm just fascinated <laughs> i feel like i'm a kid in a candy store right now to be quite honest like, I don't even know which bin to stick my hand in. <laughs> so, okay, what? They talk about Earth that, you know, we live on a planet. There's no other planets really much like Earth or that there we're limited, you know, that we've got to try and cultivate another planet. If we can't live on this one. Like, what is the reality about Earth and Earth-like planets? They're everywhere. They're everywhere. There is life everywhere. And uh, most of them are spoken for. And in our own solar system, there were hundreds of colonies and not only of humans, but of other extraterrestrials. There are lots and lots of ETs that look exactly like us, but they have come from different planets and they're exactly human, just like us, but their planets are advanced. Um, there are lots of ETs that look like us slightly, and there are lots of other ETs. There's a lot of uh, reptilian, reptile races are very popular. And... Uh, in our solar system, so the Germans in our solar system, we were not allowed to go to Saturn. We were not allowed to go to Venus. We were not allowed to go to Pluto. Uh, they had places that they could go in our solar system and places they were not allowed because there are so many different groups of ETs and they're all at different levels of technology. So that's, I, I it's one of the, when I do talks, I try to cover this and, and explain it because ufology is so fragmented. If you're if you're just getting into the ufology and you're looking at the data like if you go to MUFON and you look at the data there all of the all of the encounters from one especially from one country to the next are completely different it looks like gibberish because there's not a lot of common uh, commonality common denominators between abduction accounts some of them do and some of them are just radically different and the reason for that is because it doesn't take you very long to fly um, across the galaxy. It only takes you an instant and it doesn't take you long to come from another galaxy. So not only do we, did the Germans have access to billions of different worlds, billions of different worlds have access to us as well. And so different ET programs are interacting with people on earth and they are each at, and they are at uh, different levels of advancement. So when you, when you take everybody's ET account, and you research it, they sound like gibberish compared to each other because 
there, there are billions of different sources of the contact that is happening. Advanced life is common. So instead of like what we're commonly, we understand is like, maybe there's like, what I mean, what the majority is, is talked about, like a handful of different kind of um, ETs. Right. There's. It's actually quite the opposite, that there are billions and billions of them. There's something like seven out of 10 stars has an earth around it. Seven out of 10. And if you do the math, that's quite a bit. And then each one of those Earths has a humanoid race, and they're all at different levels of technology. All, so, so no one, no one group has control over the whole thing. It's so big. The Germans stole. We would every day. So there's a around Jupiter. There's a base. Um, there's a base around Jupiter that is like a confederation thing, and the Germans would go there, and there are billboards. Like you would think like a like a Craigslist and it's there, it's at that base. And they would go there and those were people would advertise for trade. And the, the, an officer explained to me, I said, well, what happens when we, cause we had stole, we had stolen from a raid. We went and did a trade and we stole. And I asked, I said, what's gonna happen when they come? He said, they're never gonna find us for one. And and I said, well, you now you can't go back there. And he said, we're never gonna run out of places to go. We, he said, the list is so big of of advanced uh, species that are willing to trade. The list is so big that in the next thousand years, we'll never, ever, ever run out of to see them all. Out of all the thousands of ships that the Germans had and going every day to different places, there's just so many millions of races that are on that level of trading technology that they can do whatever they want. They could go and and commit war they could drop bombs and never come back because it's just that it's that big of an area it's that big of a situation and we did steal we did steal that idea of just like oh we can do whatever we want for the next thousand years to me i'm like thousand years that seems like a drop in the bucket right well you know that's what he was you know that was his his reasoning but basically that's the math of of the when you think about trading you know intergalactic trade that's the math involved that it's such a big thing that it's not a neighborhood that space is basically endless and uh you'll ne- will uh never get to the bottom of it all you know at least in our lifetimes well that's what i'm saying it's like it's really short-sighted we've been taught <laughs> what about that. look we've been taught a bunch of things if you look at all of your media there's a couple things that stand out to me number one there's always they always have rocket engines because they don't want us to know about anti-gravity or even think about it for one. They all they always portray space as so big that even if you did go faster than light, it still would take you forever to get there. It'd be 80 years till you get to the other end of the galaxy, right? They they always portray space like that. And everything has a bad guy. Every every story and every movie has a good guy that's always good. He's always good. He always does the right thing. And it has a bad guy that's always bad and always does the bad thing. And that's far from the truth. And uh, everybody has a mixture, you know, depending on what day, uh, given day, I'm a great guy or I'm kind of a jerk. And, you know, my wife will tell you that. (laughs) She'll she'll tell you that that's true. She's, I'm a great guy. I'm the best guy ever. And on certain days, I'm a total jerk to her, you know. And everybody's like that. That's the truth. And the, the ETs are the same way. And we are the same way. Like, the United States as a whole is not a evil place. And it's also not a great, not a good 
righteous place. It's it's whatever it is on that day, and that's just how life is. But our media has brainwashed us to always look. As soon as somebody does something bad, we think we tend to think in the back of our mind they're always going to be bad. Mm. Yeah, like just putting that stigma on it. Mm-hmm. So what um, what entities or beings were you in contact with most? Well, I wasn't. I was directed to not speak to. Uh, ETs while I was out on the base, when I was out and about, if I was uh, witnessed ETs, I was not to contact them. I I did spend some time with one of the shorter reptiles on my return and uh, got to talk to him for a long time. There were reptiles that walked around. Uh, there were uh, taller beings. There were there were two other species that lived on Ceres that were in charge. One, one species was, they were about nine feet tall. They had hair, they had, uh, oblong heads, really wide hips, like, uh, strange, like strange, uh, proportions and wide hips. They looked like kind of like people, you know, like they had our kind of, they had our skin, but, um, different features, different eyes. And, uh, like I said, the, at a different build and everywhere they went, they had, they had a, a piece of jewelry or something that would turn the turn the gravity down for them they were from a lighter gravity in my experience the 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 taller the beings were from smaller planets oh what what, what what did the jewelry what did the jewelry look like well i mean uh well it was like a bracelet that they wore uh it was always it, it was all different stuff but they there was a bracelet they would wear and wherever they went it would turn the floor down it would turn the gravity Mm. down for them if you get, if you know what I mean. Interesting. Um, and then the smaller, the shorter, stocky uh, beings were from bigger planets with heavier gravity. So they were built, they were much stronger than we are. So there, there was a, the reptiles that took me originally were from a heavy gravity planet. He, he said that he went home to his wife and kids every day. Back to his The wife. reptile did? Yeah. He said that he worked on the moon. <clears throat> And he was there to, he was strong. So he was there for people that were abducted like me. If, you know, he was like security and he would carry us around when we were knocked out, he would pick us up and carry us because he was strong. And he said he went home to his world. He said it was red. The sky was red and it was a desert world and it was bigger and he loved it there. And he, he, he would, he made, he, he like, um, he like made fun of our planet, you know, like I could never be on your muddy planet, you know, he had a sense of humor. He was he was funny. And, uh, uh, so the- okay, so so just just so we uh, we've got to cover this <laughs> uh, because so this was a um, like we like we just had this conversation about good and bad and whatever, and a lot of people will automatically associate negativity with a reptilian. Sure, exactly. And he wasn't. And this and- wasn't the case. No, he was funny. He did, he said that. <clears throat> in the beginning, he said, uh, we got your probe. I started asking him, you know, where are you from? And how, how'd you find the earth and all that? You know, like I thought I was in a first contact situation. He said, we got your probe and the music sucks. <laughs> you know, talking about the Voyager probe. He was making fun of it. Like he made jokes. And uh, he said, I asked him if he got to watch our media. And he said, yeah. And he said, he, li- he, he was, he liked Bruce Lee. He did a Bruce Lee impersonation. Like, Come like on. he did a karate. Right. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Like he did a karate thing. Like he had a sense of humor. He he was in <clears throat> he was in it was different. Like he lived different life life 
span than us, but he was in his 20s. You know, it was like he was a 20 in his mid 20s year old kind of level of maturity. He he had a, he had, he had a sense of humor. It was funny. You know, he was funny. And I, I enjoyed because I was a, at the time that I was with him. I was a kid. You know, it was during it was during that time when I was back. They were putting me back to being 10 years old. And so I had been I had been put back into my 10 year old body and was sitting there and I had a couple hours with him and he, and he was he was entertaining. You know, he made me feel a lot more at ease because of. Uh, so this you, this your contact with him was before you were getting ready to be brought back. Yes. Right. During the return. That's what I thought. OK. And your I'm just so for the audience, um, the communications all telepathic, I'm assuming. Yes. So uh, the other thing is uh, speaking of the communication is that I believe it was an implant or something. <clears throat> but on the ship I worked on, uh, the Max von Lowy was the name of the ship when uh, there were there were other people from Europe that were serving on the ship as well. And there was a guy that in in the cargo bay that was Italian. He only spoke Italian. And so in certain areas of the ship, the translator was always on. When I went to the mission briefings in the morning, the officers spoke in German. I couldn't understand what they said. And then they flipped a button. They could flip a switch and I could understand what they were saying. And they understood me. And um, in, in the entranceway, when you walked, when you left the ship, the umbilical area, right when you walked in the ship, the door of the ship, there was always, the, the translator was always on. So you could stand there and you could talk. I could talk to that guy that was Italian. And in the elevators, the translator was always on. I remember standing and waiting for the elevator to arrive. And there were two guys stalking in German with me. And when we walked into the elevator, the door opened up. We walked in the elevator. All of a sudden, I could understand what they were saying. And they caught themselves because they didn't. They were talking about weapons. And they weren't supposed to talk about it to me. And they shut up. And then right when the elevator opened, when we were where we were at, they started talking to each other, you know, like just casual conversation. And when we walked out of the elevator, it was it became German that they were speaking in. Hmm. Because we had that because it was localized, the, the translator, the translator tech. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. So it's kind of cool to know that um, reptilians have jokes. Sense of humor, right? Well, you know, there's a certain, um, it's a level of consciousness. You know, there, I, I found that all ETs at a certain level of consciousness, which is, which is kind of like what we are, are people. That they were people that there were advanced ones that we looked up. The, the other thing that we've, the other thing that we don't get portrayed in uh, in our media is advanced life. It's rare. It's very rare that there's, uh, you know, they call it, we have superheroes in, in with superpowers, but that's not really what they are there. Think about somebody that's smart. Like we have a couple hundred thousand words that we use to speak. There are beings that have a million words. And they live for a thousand years and they have more advanced um, ESP uh, abilities. They're advanced. They're a, big, they're a more advanced consciousness. There are different. Uh, the law of one calls them densities. And we're a third density. There is fourth density, fifth density. The law of one says that sixth density beings can manipulate matter and basically turn an apple into a banana with their with just their mind. Uh, <clears throat> so we heard stories about ETs like they were like that, but they didn't really. Um, hang out with us. I did, I did run into an advanced ET on a train one time and it was like seeing a unicorn. It was a very, it was a, it was like, I was awestruck. It was a tall blue uh, female 
and she had very she had a very it was like uh you know you can feel people you know when you're when you're when you're with somebody you can kind of feel you can feel people do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Like when you, when i walked out i walked out the door she's like she's like 14 feet tall so she was laying over two benches taking them from side she was laying down sideways like she had to crawl in there and lay down and she's in the most this most beautiful white uh dress like not you know like a like a suit dress like I guess it, it would look more like a sport dress, but a very flowing white dress. She was dark blue in skin color. She looked kind of like a gray in her head, but she had uh, a few differences. And she looked at me and smiled, and I was just awestruck, uh, you know, like the, by the feeling I had from her, because I knew that she was a higher density. Like, like she didn't belong there. She was there for some kind of a diplomatic thing. She was visiting mm. uh, the series colony. And I looked at her and I was kind of awestruck and I just stood there and there was a, a German officer on the right to the right of me. And he said, you come here. And he said, you, you know, cause he knew I was a slave. He's like, don't communicate with her at all. Did you say anything? I said, no, he said, you stand here and mind your own business. Don't even look at her. And, uh, but just that moment was like super, it was like a powerful moment for me uh, to meet somebody like that. Um, the return, the, the, the entire process of, of the return I really never cover in depth with people. And honestly, we could do two hours of that. Um, there was a lot that happened in the, in the final days that I was there. The, 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 my final couple months were, uh, were really eventful. And uh, I didn't go through a typical return, what everybody else did. Um, I was madly in love with a girl there, and I did not want to leave. And I did not want to forget her. I knew that I was going to have my memories erased and I did not want that. And I remember I, there was a disc uh, ship that took my, me and maybe five other uh, people back on the return from Ceres to the moon. There's a round room at the top of the disc. Uh, I, I still remember the layout of it. And I remember pacing back and forth going, I'm not going to forget this. I'm not going to forget her. I'm not going to forget this. I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to forget. I don't want to forget. And I, I did that for the entire ride back. It was hour, like six hours. The disc was a much slower craft than the ones I'd worked on. And it was like a six-hour ride or eight-hour ride. And the entire time, I kept telling myself, I'm not going to forget. I did not want to forget because I was at that point in a relationship with a girl that was very, you know, like when you fall in love with somebody, that those first that first couple years – um, when everything's still perfect, you know, like it was like that. And I didn't, I, that was, um, in that lifetime for that person that had been through all that abuse, that was just like the Holy grail for me. It was like winning the lottery to have somebody actually love me. And so I didn't want to forget that. And the entire process, when I went back to the moon, I was combative. I wasn't a lot, a lot of people, often said that you know whatever uh, the one girl uh, she said uh, whatever cocktail they give you to make you forget I'm going to get a double shot I don't want to remember any of this a lot of people felt that way a lot of people were abused or saw things they didn't want to remember you know everybody everybody was forced to live in a manner that they were not comfortable with because you're expendable you know, you're 20 years, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to remember it anyway. So a lot of people were raped. A lot of people did things or were in combat. A lot of people did things that they would not do and regret it. So they embraced the memory blanking, you know, 
And that was common. A lot of people said that. Um, so for that process, they would tell me to get up on the get up on the table, you know, and we're going to do this. And I would say, no. You know, expletive, expletive. And uh, they didn't know how to act because they couldn't punish me because there's by law. They had their laws by law. They had to put me back. They had to put me through the process because now the 20 years was used up and there are laws in place to say that I can't get in trouble at that point. <clears throat> so um, when I woke up uh, and I had lost the memories, I, you know, I woke up and I was back to my 10 year old self. I'm in a room full of ETs, you know, seven or eight of them. I'm naked on a table back into my 10 year old body and I had no idea what had just happened. And I knew something had happened, but I, I didn't remember the 20 years. And they said, so well, tell us now, what do you remember? And I kept telling them before that, that I'm going to remember this. You guys aren't going to, you know, this isn't going to make me forget. I'm going to remember this. And uh, so they, they asked me, they said, are you, uh, what do you remember? And I said, what do you mean? I said, I was just in my house and you guys came and got me. Like, and they started laughing. They laughed at me because I had forgotten the 20 years. And I remember being absolutely livid. I remember, I remember feeling absolutely livid. And I said, uh, I am going to remember. I'm going to remember all of this. And before I was taken, you know, in 82, before I was taken, like a few weeks before that was when my mom explained uh, Jesus to me. You know, she sat down with me and my mom was a religious person. And went to, we went to church a lot. And she explained that, you know, if you if you ask, if you pray to Jesus and you ask him for something and you, and you believe in it with all your heart, he'll give it to you. Like she told me that. So this was only in my mind for a couple of weeks at this point. And here I am with all these ETs laughing at me you know, on a bed. And they're saying, you're not going to remember any of this. And you forgot. Right. And I was livid. And I said, in Jesus name, I'm going to remember. And I was mad. I was like, you know, like. I'm going to remember in Jesus name. I'm going to remember all this. I remember sitting there and there was a tall white on a, at a computer station across the room. And what he was doing was looking on a chrono visor and he was looking at possible timelines in the future. So they have machines that they can look into. They can communicate like the same way that we talk by text. Imagine being able to text the future or the past, right? That's what a chronovisor is, but um, only he could look at it. The rest of the ETs weren't, weren't allowed to even look at that thing. And he said, guys, knock it off. Because at that moment, I had altered all the timelines, and, I rem and he saw that I was going to remember. And then they stopped, and they took me into a different office and put me through a different process. I had to go through an entirely another process of trauma-based mind control to see what was going on. And they, and another, and another group of ETs, like I went in, it was like being in a hospital and then being taken out of the checkup and moved over to the radiology department. They moved me into a different department and did an entirely separate set of medical procedures on me at that point to try to do damage control because the chronovisor said that it was probable most of the timelines I was going to remember my abduction in my years, that moment, which I always did. When I woke up, I had always remembered the moment that I was taken. And I remembered that very moment when I said, in Jesus' name, I'm not going to forget. And they took me and they plugged me into a machine. And it was like uh, they showed me they showed me people being murdered, uh, like tr like to put me in a state of shock. Like it was a machine. And then 
I was seeing like images directly in my mind of people being butchered and the machine came and said, I am, I am your God and I'm an angry, and I'm angry at you. You need to cooperate. And I said, you're not my God. And then it was like those images came and I remember just being thrown in a shock and then kind of like, uh, like lost consciousness at that point. And I remember waking up and they were like, uh, the, rep, the, the reptile was there, the one that I said that had a sense of humor. And he's like, look, man, if you don't cooperate and, and, and they can't get you to a certain number of probable, a certain percentage of probable timelines that you don't remember, they're going to give you a lobotomy and you're going to go back and be a cripple. They're going to just lobotomize you. And I was going to wake up in my bed the next morning with, that, with, my, with a mental problems, with, you know, this lobotomized. And uh, that's what they decided to do. They never got it to an acceptable range uh, that, uh, for my memories. They, the, there was another, there was another uh, gray, a, a, white, a tall white gray there on a chronovisor. And he's like, look, he's going to remember. You know, I can't get it to an accept. They were trying all kinds of different things. They plugged me into the machine again. They plugged me into a different thing, and they were like, they were poking me with stuff. They kept trying all these different procedures, and they're like, no, he's still going to remember. Send him over. He's. Gonna, they were like, you're going to get a lobotomy. And so he took me. He's like, I, he's like, I like you. I hate to see this happen to you. You're a good guy, but you know, this is a, sorry. This is the rules. You know, come with me. And he took me over. And I've never said this in any interview. I've never spoken of this. He took me over to another office. Like, it's just like another part of a hospital. You know, you go out and then into another hallway and then it's like a hospital. And when I went there, they said the, the, the gray there was one of the grays, like one of the robot ones. They said, do you have his papers? And he said, went to look me up in the computer and my information was not in the computer. My captain on my ship on one of my missions deleted my record. And so when they looked me up, I didn't have any record and said, well, if we don't have a record to put it in. We can't perform any, any procedure. So just put them back. And that's what happened. Then he, he said, oh, well, there's he's a house no one's going to get in trouble for this. He doesn't need to get the lobotomy because no one's going to get in trouble because he doesn't have a record. His permanent record isn't here. So just send him back. And I remember that right then and there, it was like he snapped his fingers or he did something. He had something like a like a clicker or something, and he hit it, and I kind of went into like a catatonic state. <clears throat> that was the very last thing I remember, and I woke up in my bed the next morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is wild. So th- that's, that's incredible. So this idea of timelines and um, being able to uh, really – through the power of intention, shift timelines, change them, move into other ones, was demonstrated very well in that moment. Yeah, that's what we are. That's what we are. It's what you believe. And you got to think that a lot of the things, like I talk about media and things, they are steering people away from believing things constantly. You know, do, you, do you know what I mean? Like They steer mm-hmm. people away mm-hmm. from believing things. And, and what you believe, what you what you what you are intent on like it was a very emotional moment for me and i was a kid so my mind didn't have a lot of clutter like it does now like as an adult and so that was a very intense thing that happened in that moment and it had changed you know according to them my 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 time my timeline and here i am and here we are talking about my memories i did get recall i did remember that stuff all along and i'm a rare person i I don't think that what happened to me was rare i think me remembering at my station, you know, is what's rare. That's what's rare about me is that I remember. 
like I said, a lot of people don't want to remember, even during the process, they're like, please erase all these memories. Oh my gosh, that's insane. Uh, and I don't mean that in a dis- disrespectful way. No, I yeah, that's fine. Yeah, oh, I, I, yeah, I, I feel the same way. Like I said, I, I would love it if all this stuff turned out to not be, you know, if I found something that proved me wrong. But I haven't. Every time I found, every time I've researched something that I remember, it's panned out. Literally every time, and dozens yeah. of times. Um, the other thing. Um, after I came back the next morning when I woke up, I was a different person. Uh, it, you know, I was different. I was changed. I went to school that net following day and I couldn't re- remember my way around the school. I was lost. And I had went to that school my whole life. I only went to one school my whole life and it wasn't a big place. Um, but I couldn't remember where the bathroom was because I had been gone hmm. for 20 years. Mm-hmm. in that day and that so you're disoriented and that boy uh later that week when we went to when we went to the uh, talented the tag class on wednesday the next week uh so this was it, i think it happened on a thursday or a friday because i had that whole weekend i have a picture of me that my dad took that weekend and i remember playing by myself in my yard and wondering to myself what the f happened to me because i felt not at home anymore. I remember I went out to like, I had my, I had my little routine that I'd go outside and play, you know, my same little toys that I did. And I'd go out to the certain area and climb trees. Like I had, I lived on a farm. And when I went out that weekend in my routine to play, I was totally lost. I was totally like, I haven't been here in a long time. I don't even remember doing this. Like it was, it was totally foreign to me. I was thrown back into my life. And it was very, I was disoriented, you know, and I, I, I didn't want to say anything because I thought they'd say, think I was sick, you know, like maybe something was going wrong with me that I was sick. That's what I thought at the time, but I had no idea what was going on. You know, I, I was totally disoriented. And the other thing was, um, you know, this is hard to say that, but uh, you know, I was a 10 year old and all of a sudden I was attracted to adult women at that time after that too, because I had been an adult and I had had, I had had, I had had relationships. Do you know what I mean? Like I had had that and I had learned to be attracted to women. And so all of a sudden, and I, this was, you know, back in the eighties, there was no internet. It's not like I logged and we didn't have cable. It's not like I saw um, anything about sexuality out of, out of turn. Like I didn't get that. I didn't have any of that knowledge back then. Do you, if you get what I'm saying? No, like totally. I didn't have any sexual Absolutely. knowledge at all, but all of a sudden I went to school and I was attracted to all the adults, all the adult girls. And I did, I was freaked out by that. I didn't know what was going on. I, I didn't know why or even what I was attracted to. I honestly, I didn't know what I was thinking, but it was like I had, I had a weird, um, you know, it was a side effect of it all. Hmm. That is so interesting. Uh, it makes a sense, especially when you say you've got that like overlapping kind of personality coming in of experiences. Right, right. Well, and then the other thing is, so that persona that was always taught to be afraid and just complacent, like I always kind of, you know, in a military existence, all of your basics are taken care of for you. You know, do you, do you get what I mean? Like, like everything's taken care of for you what job you're going to do. You don't got to worry. It's not like you're going to set out and learn a job, learn a career 
and choose it because in the military they test you and this is the best career for you and that's what you get and that kind of mentality i had with me ever after and it you know i as you can imagine it doesn't work out in our in our culture now you have to actually go get you have to you know you have to be ambitious and i didn't i didn't have ambition after that and my grades plummeted mm. uh, you know like i was in the talented and gifted program that year I went a couple more years of having really high test scores, but there was a certain point where I just didn't want to do the work anymore. And my ambition just totally, totally dive bombed, you know, and I just kind of mailed it in my, my school years after that. Did your parents, I, I'm going to assume your parents would try to talk to you and ask you what was my going on. My dad frequently said, I want my son back. What happened to my son? He's like, you're totally different. Whereas I want my son back because I wasn't into like, you know, the little joke, like, you know, like, you have a 10 year old, you do little joke things that are funny to a 10 year old. All of a sudden, all that stuff wasn't funny to me anymore. My dad would try to, you know, pick fun at me. And I was like, dad, come on, that ain't funny. You know, and that's, I changed. I had changed. And I didn't know why. Yeah. So do you, are your parents still alive? I don't speak to my dad anymore. Uh, it's a long story. My mom's alive and you know, I, I don't know if she knows about my interviews. I think my brother might have told her, but I don't post this stuff on my Facebook for the reason that I don't want my mom to know, if that makes sense. Mm. It, because yeah. of the person she was and the mom she was, I don't want her to look back and regret and think that she somehow, you know, let all this stuff happen to her kid. Her yeah, kid. the responsibility. Like I, well, I'm sure that it would hurt her to, to learn that I went through all that during that time. You know, so I don't, mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. talk to her about it. Um, there were a few things that I talked to her uh, that she confirmed, you know, from back then. Uh, my brothers and sister know, and I talked to them about all this. Uh, my family knows, my kids, my daughters, I've been open with them about it. And I, uh, I worry about them being taken. And, uh, but other than that, I don't really go around um I don't really go around shouting this info. Anybody that asks me, I, I'll tell them, you know, I'll share it with them. But anybody that I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, very cool for me to try to um, force any of this. My story, my account, my story of what I've been through. I don't think it's cool for me to force it on somebody that believes something else. Do you know what I mean? Like like forcibly mm -hmm. red pill somebody or however you call it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I, I think to, in order for any for the average person to believe what I'm telling them, they have to unbelieve something. And I don't think it's very um, I don't think it's in good taste to force it on anybody. So anybody that asks me, I'm more than willing to talk about it. It's, you know, I'm an open book about it. But other than that, I don't share it um, with anyone. Well, yeah, because you're not just like starting to dig down, dig a rabbit hole. You're like way down, down, down the rabbit right. hole other yeah branches off of it a really quick question before we let you go um were there any symptoms around 2015 when you started remembering or and or were there any techniques that you used to further assist or speed up the memory return or recall? Awesome question. I get asked that quite a bit. Um, it's very common. Uh, like I said, uh, a few thousand people have contacted me since I've gone public with similar fragmented memories, uh, keystone memories, we, I call them. So, yes, uh, in the beginning, there were huge chunks and it was a weird experience. Um, there were times when I had to pull over. I was driving down the highway. I had to pull over, and I'd be in the gambit. I'd be in tears. 
And um, just because big, big years worth of memories would all come at once because, you know, when you think about something like, um, you know, I don't know how old you guys are, but if you think about 20 years ago, you don't remember it. But if you met somebody else from that 20 years, from 20 years ago, let's say your birthday party 20 years ago, and, they, and you ran into them and they said, remember your birthday party? And you go, yeah. Remember that table that we broke? And you'd go, and if you had forgotten about it, all of a sudden that memory would come back because your birthday party, seeing them as a keystone memory, and that unlocks those other memories. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though you've forgotten about your breaking your table at your at your birthday party 20 years ago, somebody else could remind you. And then those memories all can come back. You go, oh, that's right. We broke that table. And we also broke that one lawn chair that was outside. Remember that? And you would, you it opens the door that all those other memories unfold. So what happened to me was once I embraced a few of them, they all unfolded quickly in the beginning. The first three to six months, I mean, I was getting big chunks and it was very, very disorienting. And I was, uh, you know, alone during that time. So that I wanted to talk to somebody about it. And talking about it is, frankly, is the best therapy, the best way to remember more. And the best way to deal with it is just finding somebody that you could trust to talk to about it. The other thing that I learned after time, so after that six-month period, I wanted to remember more. There was still plenty of things I um, was curious about. There's still things I'm curious about that I want to remember. But And what I found was that I would clear, I would do the meditation. Uh, there's a lot of different types of meditation, but I would do where, where the blank uh, meditation, where I wouldn't think about anything. I would tune out any sounds, try to not have a word in my head, like nothing, like no thoughts at all, and try to do that for as long as I could. And then think of my clearest memory. Like everybody has a keystone. Everybody has a memory that's clear. It's a little weird, but they can't remember. It's vague, whatever happened around it. So I would just think about the clearest image in my mind that I could. And then try to remember earlier that day or later that night. And try to remember and struggle to remember. Kind of like when you're trying to remember, what was the name of that song? And you try, it's on the tip of my tongue. I would get a memory that was clear and then find something around that memory from that day of that memory and get it on the tip of my tongue and work, you know, anything stress. And then I would stop and then meditate again and repeat. And then I would stop. And what I would do is do that for a day or two and then take a couple days off. And what happens is when you relax and forget about it, just like you remember that song, it would come. After, after it comes to you. Right. After you, you try to remember it, it's on the tip of my tongue, it's on the tip of my tongue. And then I would stop and just forget about it. And I would intentionally not think about any of it the next day. And then it, it would come. Those memories would come. And that's that's the technique I use. There's other uh, people have offered to do the, all kinds of stuff for me. Um, the hypnosis, the regression, past life regression and all that. But, I, you know, most of the people that offer that are far, live far away. And I, I uh, don't have the means to just travel, you know, willy nilly like that. But um, it's worked. And I, I remembered quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, enough. And I also, I've quit study. I quit. I don't watch. I don't watch anybody's videos they send me. I don't listen to anybody else's stuff. I remember enough of it of my own. I don't really need to study it anymore. And, uh, and you know, and the other thing is, is if I do see something, somebody else's information, and it, and then I go, oh, yeah, I remember that. And then it looks like I'm stealing it. You know, it's like disc- discrediting. So for that reason, I kind of shy away from all the new info that's come out. That's fair. And that's, I think, um, I, I think that speaks to your integrity a lot. And, and that this isn't about you making up stuff or trying to create 
um, disinformation or anything like that. Because uh, if you were, then you'd be <laughs> you'd be researching a lot more than that in the regards that you're sure, not. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute fascinating show. I'm so um, happy that you came on and you agreed to come on the show. And um, for our listeners, because clearly there is a lot of information to be shared in a 20 and back. And uh, there's a lot more information that Tony could share of from his experience still out in uh, the galaxy. If you guys are interested in hearing more and you really like this episode, then either write into the show info at enlightenup.us and let us know. Uh, give us some topics or questions that you have that you'd like us to ask him if we were to bring him back or leave the leave that in the comments of the YouTube channel. Okay. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for spending your time with us and, and uh, sharing all of this information. I This is definitely one of my favorite episodes without a doubt absolutely uh thank you I, like i said i love talking about it it's the best therapy and uh, i don't want i didn't want to take any of this to the grave with me i couldn't see i couldn't see laying there on my deathbed and then trying to spit it all out so um you know i think later on there's it's a not if it's when you know they're gonna have to come yeah. clean and we're gonna know about, it's gonna be history at some absolutely. point absolutely and probably after i'm gone who knows but uh i I'm very happy that you've given me an outlet to speak about it. And I'm, I had a great time. So I'd love to come back. And any questions that anybody has, I, I would love to. I'll, I'll make my best. Uh, even on the YouTube channel, I'll do my best to get in there and answer. Oh, right thanks here. so much. Cool. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Today is Halloween and today is Brian's birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, you guys remembered. How sweet. It's our skeptic who's not really a skeptic's birthday. Happy birthday, Brian. Yeah. I'm a spook dick. <laughs> to the audience, uh, thanks again for being with us this week. And next week. <laughs> you And next week and the week after. We love having you here. Thank you all for joining our show. We appreciate you tuning in and supporting us. If you have any questions you would like answered on the show or any guests you would like to hear on our show, please email that information to us at info at enlightenup.us. And please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you're interested in contacting Nicole or myself for some coaching or any of the other services we provide, you can find out more about Nicole at inflexibleme.com and my website is lisaloveslove.com. Thank you again for joining us and supporting our show, and we will be back with you all next week.